Right, John chapter 3. So for those of you that haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of John. That's our new Bible study on a Sunday evening. Um, We did chapter 2, obviously, last week and start with chapter 1 the week before. We're up to now John chapter 3. Great chapter of the Bible, famous chapter of the Bible. Uh, Really looking forward to this. So let's get going from verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So at this point, you've basically got two main sects of the Jews. You've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees are basically known for their putting importance on the so-called traditions of the elders, um, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, basically. If you turn to Mark 7, let's have a quick, quick example of this. So, Gospel of Mark in chapter 7. And from verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as a washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And basically, this is the start, or this is continued nowadays, all the nonsense that you see in what's known as the Talmud. Okay, and it's all this sort of rubbish, this sort of order of doing things, all these, all these what they've taught as doctrines, the commandments of men. And, and there's nothing new under the sun. This is probably going on from the beginning, but this sort of, you know, you've got to, you know, they have crazy stuff like the side of the bed you get out of and all this just bizarre stuff. Um, and, and this guy, Nicodemus, is a Pharisee and a, a ruler or leader of the Jews. And like we see, the Pharisees here, this is the sort of stuff they believe. Now, just because he's a ruler of these, at this point, obviously, Jesus Christ has only been on the scene, you know, physically as Jesus Christ in the flesh there, um, for, for not, you know, for not long. We're, we're right at the beginning of, of his ministry here. And he's not, obviously, Nicodemus isn't blaspheming the Holy Spirit at this point. Um, in fact, it says in verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Because sadly, nowadays, if you saw a leader of, of some sort of Talmudic Jew, you know, some sort of synagogue where they're teaching that junk, the, the truth is that, that they're, they're very likely a reprobate yeah. at this point. Because, because they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this last week. I'm not going to go into it again. But, but at this point, it doesn't look like Nicodemus is that. In, in fact, we see, see something different um, as we go forward. So there is still a humbleness about Nicodemus, isn't there, there? He said, Rabbi. Rabbi means master, really, my master. He's saying, my master. Uh, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man could do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So he's kind of halfway there already, isn't he, Nicodemus? He's acknowledging that he's from God at least, but that's not enough for salvation, is it? So that's not enough for salvation. And, you know, many people, oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus is the Son of God, but they're not saved, are they? Um, but at this point, at least he's not the opposite and blaspheming him and everything else. Um, okay, I believe that he does get saved, though. I believe Nicodemus does get saved. The only other two times we see him, if you turn to John chapter 7...
and in verse 45, it says, John 7, 45, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them, The Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on them? On him, sorry. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night being one of them, Doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him, and know, know what he doeth? They answered, said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. So at this point, he's, he's trying to defend Jesus at the least here. And again, that's not saying that he's necessarily saved. But then turn over to John 19. And this is the last time we see, and the only other time we see Nicodemus. In John 19 and verse 38. This is, um, this is after Jesus' death on the cross. And after this, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices and manner of the Jews is to bury. And the place where he was crucified, there was a garden in the garden, a new sepulchre, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. Now that's a pretty bold move for Nicod of Nicodemus, isn't it, there, considering what happened, considering the persecution. Um, so I I'd be amazed if he wasn't saved. Maybe he wasn't. John 12, 42 says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. That's how I see that. But again, we, we don't know for sure. But uh, John chapter 3, and from verse 3, it says, Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And this is one of the many scores of verse and passages that prove eternal security and once saved, always saved. Okay, one of the many. Verse 3 there, he said, Jesus sent him, verily, verily, I sent thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this is essential, isn't it, for seeing the kingdom of God? This is essential, is being born again. Nicodemus saith unto him, so look at verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He, he doesn't get it, does he? Verse 5, Jesus answered, very, very, I send to thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So water and spirit, that's baptism, isn't it? Hey, that baptism? No, well, verse 6 clears that up, because verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Born of water is born of the flesh. Okay, this is what he's referring to. It's a physical birth. The, the birth of water comes out before with the baby, usually before. It's talking about that physical birth, being born of water. Hence, he didn't say that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the water and spirit is spirit, did he? And in fact, more specifically, wouldn't it have been the other way around by what these people teach, which is that 
he would have said, I think in verse 5 there, are we? Verse 5, he would have said, except a man be born of the Spirit and of water. Because you get born again and then people get baptised. It's nothing to do with baptism. But how many false religions and, and, and you know, versions of Christianity like to go to this and say, look, you've got to get baptised. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, okay, so Spirit... He's saying here, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that's the water birth, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus is talking about two births, the physical birth and the spiritual birth. In the same way that you can't be physically born twice, Nicodemus cleared that up, didn't he, in the earlier verse, you can't be spiritually born multiple times either, can you? Okay, again, you can't enter back into your mother's womb in the same way you can't enter back into death and then be reborn spiritually. Once born, always born, you could say, couldn't you? Okay, we believe in once born, always born here. It's a new doctrine. Yeah. But, that, but, but it is, isn't it? And again, it's, it, it, you're born once. You're born once physically, you're born once spiritually. He said, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Don't be amazed. Okay, that's what he's saying. Don't be amazed by this. Now, he then goes on. He says, verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So, the wind blows where it wants, isn't it? You can hear it, but you can't tell, you know, where it comes from or, or goes to, can you? Okay? The, the wind, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it goes. You can't see it. And it's the same with the saved. The unsaved know they're there, but they... One, they can't understand them, can they? So one, you, you don't understand it, you could say. But also, I think there, really, it's probably saying, you know it's there, but you can't see it. You can't see salvation, can you? You can't see, you can't know for sure someone's saved. Because really, only God knows. God knows the heart, doesn't he? And here he's saying, he's saying, Thou hearest the sound of it, but canst not tell where it's cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. I think he's saying, you can't really see it. You don't know. You don't know. You, you can't see salvation. And Nicodemus said unto him, how can these things be? Now, remember, he's from a background which puts importance on which order you wash things, you know, to, to, to basically be, a, be part of their religion. And, and, and that's how you justify yourself in God's eyes, by following all these, all these commandments of men, things that are seen. Verse 10, Jesus said unto him, art thou master of Israel and knowest not these things so he should know shouldn't he he should know that it's faith shouldn't Nicodemus know that yeah he should know that it's faith Job knew didn't he Job 19.25 says for I know that my redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth he knew there was a redeemer he knew that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth but as early uh, turn to Psalm 116 but as early as Genesis 4.26, there was one way of salvation, wasn't there? That we see in the Bible, and, and it's from the beginning. And to Seth to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now Psalm 116 and verse 13 says, I will take, Psalm 116 verse 13, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 45, 22 says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. These are all one-time events, aren't they? These are all one-time, calling on a name, taking a cup, be ye saved. Not being saved, be ye saved. 
They're all one-time events. It all happens once. And now Jesus is putting it in the language of the spiritual rebirth, but it's, it shouldn't be a surprise, should it? It shouldn't be a surprise. If he really understood, and, or if he were saved, it wouldn't have been, would it? Um, verse 11, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. And how often do we experience this, guys? How often do we experience this? We, tr we speak the truth. We know it, don't we? We know it in our hearts. When we go out and speak the truth, we testify or declare the facts, don't we? We testify and declare the facts of salvation, and so many won't receive it, will they? They just won't receive it. You're testifying to them. And these can be family and friends. Family and friends that know you well enough to know that you're sincere, to know that you're not just some wind-up, you're not lying. You're declaring facts to them. You're, you're, you're testifying what you have seen, and they receive not our witness. And it's sad, isn't it? And it's hard as well. It's hard because a lot of the time you talk to them, you know they know, really deep down, they know that what you're speaking, they know that you're being sincere, they know that you're speaking the truth, but... They don't receive it, do they? They don't receive it. And it can be hard. Verse 12, he said, If I have told you earthly things you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Remember, Nicodemus has said, How can these things be? And I think this is the answer to this question here. And, and he's basically saying, He's saying the answer is, Well, the heavenly things, isn't it? That's the answer. So how can these things be? But he's saying, Look, if you don't believe, if you don't believe that someone can be spiritually born again on this earth, then how, how shall he believe if Jesus then explains the ins and outs of the spiritual rebirth being followed by later bodily resurrection, etc.? He's not going to understand that. So, he, so he's basically saying, well, how are you going to understand? Verse 13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Men have been carried up into heaven. But no one hath ascended himself other than Jesus Christ. Okay? He ascended himself up into heaven. Um, and it says here, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. How is he currently in heaven then? How is he currently in heaven? Because he's God. He's omnipresent, isn't he? Okay? Jesus Christ is God. Just another verse which shows that, which proves that. Do we need that after John 1.1? 1, 1? Well, hopefully not, but, but people do, it seems, because they still won't accept that. Even the Son of Man which is in heaven whilst he's standing there talking to him on the earth. Psalm 139.8 says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. God is everywhere. Jesus Christ is God, which explains why in Luke 23.43, you don't have to turn there, he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, the thief on the cross. Yet, where did Jesus Christ go for three days? He wasn't in heaven, he was in hell, wasn't he? Because he's everywhere. Now, Verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Okay, this is referring to Numbers 21. And we just have a quick look at this. Numbers chapter 21. And just remember when you read this, this is a picture. It's a picture of salvation. <coughs> From verse 4, Numbers 21, 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. So they basically got a hump now with the, with the manna, haven't they? 
And it's something we've got to be careful of as well because we see so we get so many blessings, we see so many blessings as we so quickly start moaning and complaining and getting annoyed with our lives. We do, don't we? And, and maybe we don't, maybe we don't verbally, I hope we don't, but, but many people do, don't they? Verse 6, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitter, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And of course, this is a picture of salvation. But have you ever looked at this and thought, why a serpent? Or maybe, maybe a serpent because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin for us, and there I think he's becoming sin for us. That's a picture of salvation, isn't it? Um, and that's a great picture of salvation. And what does it say? That... That if, that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Looking upon that serpent, yeah? Looking upon that picture of Christ. Now, verse 15, it, where we are in John 1, says, uh, sorry, John 3, says, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you've been bitten by a venomous snake, I don't think you'd be wasting your time looking at poles unless you believed or trusted that it would work, would you? And we have to trust Jesus Christ, don't we? We have to trust it. There's no backup plan, is there? There's no, well, I'll, I'll look at him once I've tried all my works or anything. It's, it's, it's one or the other, isn't it? Um, we have to trust Jesus Christ. Now, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing verse. And that's some love, isn't it? God made a way for us, the world. He so loved the world, he made that way, that he gave his only begotten son. And what an amazing thing to do. Um, and remember from chapter 1, he's the only begotten from the dead, yeah? Okay, we saw that, we had a look at that. Chapter 1, we called him the only begotten son there as well. Now the NIV... So unless, if you're not aware here, that there are, there are 400 or so so-called versions of the Bible in English, which is absolutely ridiculous as God said that he'd preserve every single word. Um, and they all say something different, okay? And the NIV says he gave his one and only son. And pretty similar, the, so the NIV is a new international version. You've got the New Living Translation says something similar, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, the New Revised Standard Version. They all say the same. And then you've got the res, Revised Standard Version, which says he gave his only son. Okay, so now it's his only son. But John 1.12 that we looked at two weeks ago says, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. So isn't everyone here a son of God? If you believed on the name of, of Jesus Christ, Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So it's a lie. It's a lie, isn't it? So I don't, I don't see how someone can get saved from an NIV, John 3.16, saying that he gave his one and only son, because it's a lie. It's not a truth. It's wrong. It's, a, it's false. And the Word of God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie, does he? 
So how do people still look at, like you could, and I've shown people, I've shown people stuff like this, people who claim to be Christians, claim it's grace through faith. I've shown them dozens and dozens of verses. I used to have lists in one of my old Bibles and, and just, just, they'll look at it, blank face, blank face, blank face. Well, look at this one. What, what, you know, how, blank face, blank face. And then you have one which is only a minor difference. Oh, well, well look at that, that's not really a big difference. Oh, what are you talking about? What about the rest of it? Well, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, the King James is all right. Oh, what are you talking about? There's so much error, so much error. And how can, that, how can that be the word of God? But I don't think anyone here needs to convince you of that. Okay, so John 3.16, he said, whosoever. That's anyone, right? Yeah. Yeah? Whosoever is anyone. Everyone has that opportunity at the beginning, don't they? Yeah. The beginning of their lives, they all have that opportunity. Whosoever. It's not some select elect or anything else it's whosoever and again John 1 should put Calvinism to bed John 3 should hopefully nail its coffin but unfortunately no they don't like really reading the Bible do they they like just reading commentaries and 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 scholars and the rest of it believeth that's pretty simple isn't it whosoever believeth there's no process there there's nothing else it's whosoever believeth right how about should not should not. Now, of course, there are the work salvationists that try to make this conditional. Have you ever heard that before? I've seen this stuff before. Well, should not perish. Like, like it means, well, they might not. Or they hopefully won't, depending on what happens next. But that's because we don't speak like this now. But look at the first use of this phrase. So turn to Genesis 38. So right at the beginning, Genesis 38... Okay, have a look at from verse 6, Genesis 38, 6. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. That's that phrase there, should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should... Give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. So his brother has died, and Judah wants only to do what ends up written in the law in, in Deuteronomy 25. We see this. He's basically taking on, taking on the, the dead brother's family, um, or dead brother's wife, and raising a family to his name. Um, so he wants him to have and raise children with his brother's wife to continue the brother's name. But look at verse 9 there. Verse 9, and Onan knew that seed should not be his. This wasn't conditional, was it? How, so how we would say it now. So here he's just saying, basically, this, like that seed, it's not, well, it depends. It might be his or it might not. No, it should not. Basically, the way we'd say it now is would not. That's how we would, we would say that now, would not. So he's saying here, he's saying that the owner knew that the seed would not be his. And, and in John 3.16, or whosoever believeth in him would not perish, is how we would say that in our common, in our modern vernacular. Okay? It's not that, oh, should not, it depends what happens. No, would not, should not. Okay? That's, what, that's how, how, how that was written in those days regularly as well, or how that English was written. Should not perish, would not perish, is how we'd say that. It's not, and, and it says here, but have, have everlasting life. It's not, might have, it's will have, isn't it? Okay, but should not perish, but have 
If you have everlasting life, you can't lose it, can you? You can't have something that's everlasting and then not have it, depending on what you do. It wasn't everlasting, was it? And I know a lot of us explain this on the doors, but you've got to hammer that home, haven't you? Because how often, how often do we hear this? And, and the truth is, you'll have people that try and put that doubt in your mind, that try and stop you being asked, yeah, you're not going to lose your faith. Everyone here who's saved, you can't lose that because you have everlasting life. But people will try the work salvationist and it's everywhere, isn't it? It's everywhere. But if you have everlasting life, you can't lose it. It wasn't everlasting. And John 6, 47 says that in a nutshell. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Amen. Simple, simple. There you go. A few words. He that believeth on me, Jesus speaking, hath present tense everlasting life. If you have it, you cannot lose it. And why this, this verse is so powerful, so much in there, isn't there? So much truth in there, so much gospel in there. But how many from church backgrounds, you knock on their door, you start preaching the gospel, you get to John 3.16, they're reciting it with you. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Oh, what you got to do to, to go to heaven? I'll be a good person. <laughs> like, how, do you, how does that happen? It's, it's, it's odd, isn't it? But it's a veil, isn't it? And they just, they just cannot understand it. They cannot understand it until... You preach it and you explain it to them. And that's why we need a preacher to go out and preach the word of God. Because even something that you think is as simple as John 3.16, it's just clear, isn't it? But someone needs a spirit-filled man or woman of God to preach it to them. Okay, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a great verse. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved see the world is already condemned by sin yeah the world's condemned already by sin all have sinned for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god okay everyone sinned they're all they already come short of the glory of god the wages of sin is death yeah so people aren't going to hell for rejecting jesus christ that's not the sin they're going to hell for they're going to hell because of the many many sins they've done yeah that's the truth. And because people like to kind of talk about, well, what about this person over in this place that hasn't heard the gospel? No, they're going to hell because they've willfully sinned probably pretty much most days of their life, if not most hours of their life. And, and all have sinned. And Jesus, it's not that Jesus Christ came in to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. We don't deserve salvation. It's something we can get a bit funny about here, can't, or not here, you know, ourselves, but, but amongst sort of versions of Christianity. Well, everyone deserves a chance. No, we don't deserve it. God loved us enough to offer us it, didn't he? God loved us enough to offer us it. But it's a choice. It's a choice. There's no automatic. There's no, you're just going to get saved because even, you know, oh, well, you might pray for your family, friends, that's good. But really, you should be praying for that opportunity. You should be praying for the most receptive time for them to be humble enough, for other blocks to be put out of their, their, their way, for them to have the maximum chance of being saved. But you can't say, pray for someone to be saved and they're going to be saved. They still have the choice, don't they? Everyone has that choice. And yeah, we should be praying for people. Don't get me wrong. You know, I pray for, for unsaved family and friends, you know, most days of my life. But, but I'm praying for them. I'm praying for that opportunity. I'm praying for someone else. If, I, I've, if they're not giving me that opportunity, they won't let me preach the gospel to them. I'm praying for all those things. I'm not praying that they'll just automatically get saved. Um, and 
Here he says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Might be saved. And again, Calvinism, another nail in the coffin. Is it the world by him might be saved? Um, verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, death, burial and resurrection, paying for all of your past, present and future sins, you are saved. Okay, you are saved. You are not condemned because you have believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, that's it. You're not condemned. You're, 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 you have eternal life. You have it. But if you haven't, if you're still trusting in your your works, your good deeds, and how many religions, how many versions of Christianity, how many people claim they're saved and then start telling you about the good deeds? If you're still trusting in your good deeds, your genetics, you know, well, I come from the line of whatever so-called, you know, of the 12 tribes or something else, it, you ain't saved. Your, your baptism, some people trust in that, don't they? Well, I got baptised. You hear that? You knock on the door. Yeah, yeah, I got baptised. I got christened or whatever else as a baby. So, yeah. Or, or you repenting of your sins. Whether you repented of your sins, and that's a bit of a bizarre one. Oh, yeah, I repented of my sins. Or that they continue repenting. Of You're not saved, are you? You keeping the faith. How about that one? We hear that one a lot, don't we? Well, as long as I keep the faith, as long as I confess, as long as I, you know, don't stop believing, well, then you never had everlasting life, did you? Asking forgiveness if you sin. That one you get a lot, don't you? So, so that a lot, we, get, we get a lot of Pentecostals, don't we? That you knock on the door, well, as long as I ask for forgiveness, well, you're not saved. Because you, you don't have everlasting life if you think you can lose it. And again, I don't think most people here are unaware of that. But, but it's something, especially when we're going out preaching the gospel, that we need to be really clear on, don't we? No, well, I'm a Christian. Or, well, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus Christ. It's faith. Well, yeah, but what do you really believe? What do you believe? Do you believe you can lose your salvation? Because that's the main one, isn't it? Because you have not believed that Jesus Christ is enough. That's what you're basically saying, aren't you? you these people have not believed that Jesus Christ is enough. They've not believed that Jesus Christ dying, going to hell for three days, was enough to pay for their sins. And, and really, it just comes down to pride, doesn't it, really? It comes down to pride, self-righteousness, wanting to believe that, that you can somehow earn it, that you can somehow do enough to keep it, do enough to get it in the first place. Uh, and no, you've got, to get, you've got to get rid of all, all of that. Save, save if they that be of a contrite heart. You are still condemned for your sins if you believe that there is, there is anything, anything you have to do other than believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19, and this is a condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The light was there and it's still there, it's still here in us, isn't it? Okay, it's still here in us. We are now the light of the world. Uh, in John 12, 32, Jesus says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So Jesus Christ was lifted up. He draws all men, doesn't he? He draws all men. That light draws all men. And often when you think of this verse, you think of what we consider to be vile sins, don't you? Men loved, you know, darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And what maybe what we call that. But what about the evil, like I said, self-righteousness? The self-righteousness in false religion that stops billions, billions worldwide from coming to the light. 
That is pretty evil, isn't it? Pretty evil to believe that you're somehow good enough, that Jesus Christ was enough, that you are good enough. You're good enough to make your way to heaven, to earn your way, to keep yourself going there. Men love the darkness of false religion, don't they? They love it. You can show someone who claims to be a Bible-believing Christian, you can show them clearly from the Word of God, and they go, no, I'll stick to my religion. Well, I'll stick to what I was told. I'll stick to what I believe. Well, we all believe our own way. or we all, Well, we all have our own version. Well, what do you mean version? I'm reading you straight from the Word of God. Oh, no, no. I, yeah, well, you know, we just agree to disagree on that then. It's like, what? But you claim to be a Bible-believing Christian. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? But, but really, that is wicked, isn't it? That is evil. That's evil. You're just rejecting everything God says. Oh, well, I, I like this bit. I like a little bit of that, but I won't have the rest of it. I, I, and... But again, there are many that avoid the truth of the gospel because they don't want to acknowledge their sin. There is that, isn't there? There are many that don't, they don't even want to hear it. They don't want to hear it, or when they do hear it, they don't want that light sh shone on them. I had a brutally honest 10-year-old boy a while back, and that's quite young for it, a 10-year-old boy who basically said to me, after I went through the whole gospel with him, talked to him a bit about chastisement, etc., and, and to explain that to him, and he basically said that... No, I don't really want to get chastised by God in life. So what are you talking about? It, you know, what, what, and I tried to explain to him about hell again. No, no. I mean, that's pretty, at 10 years old, that's, you know, and I made it clear. I made it really clear where he's going, but no, I don't, I'm happy to live my life and go to hell, basically. And, and you know, I was trying to make it clear what, how bad hell is and no, doesn't want to get chastised. Doesn't basically want the light shone on his sin. And I wasn't going heavy on the chastisement, by the way, in case you're sitting there thinking, what are you telling him is going to happen? <laughs> you know, but, but no, he, he just wouldn't have it. And they hate the light, don't they? And, and every soul winner here is going to experience that when you go out. People that just literally hate the light, don't they? They hate it. Um, the hatred for trying to show someone how to get saved. Isn't it bizarre? Isn't it bizarre, really? When you look at it like that, you're just going to someone's door going, I'd just like to show you how you can be sure you're going to heaven or... Are you sure you're going to heaven? I could show you. Like the hate, the anger, the animosity that comes from people. It's just absolutely ridiculous, really, isn't it? When you look at it like that, how can you be that angry that I'm trying to show you how, how to go to heaven? You could decide you don't believe it, but how, what's, what's so bad about that? Um, but we're talking about salvation here, aren't we? But this can also apply to us saved Christians with the word of God, can't it? Psalm 119, 105, you don't have to turn there, says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When we're living right, we love the word, we, we, we love the preaching, don't we, a lot of the time? We love hearing the word preached when we're living right. We love the word. Verse 21 in John 3, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Give us the light when we're living right, eh? Give us that light. We're like, yeah, let me come to the light. I want to hear that preaching. Show us how we're living for God. Show everyone else how we're getting it right. That, that's, that's, you know, some people like that. We maybe we'll be sharing those verses that, that confirm our lifestyle choices. Choose the sermons that slap us on the back. And there can be that fear of that with, with, with YouTube Christianity, can't there? You choose, pick and choose the sermons. Maybe stop that one that's really not, not giving you that slap on the back for making those right choices. But what about when our deeds are being reproved by the Word of God? Are we sharing those verses? Sharing that verse that really reproves you and your lifestyle, your sin? Are we enjoying those, are we choosing those sermons? Are you looking at those sermon titles and choosing the one that's reproving you? We should be, shouldn't we? Yeah. 
we should be, but is there, does everyone do that, do you think? For example, I was thinking about this, yeah? Like, the most popular sermon I've preached was Salam Kamara is unqualified and a thief, yeah? I mean, I'm up to nearly 700 views. I'm in the big time here, yeah? <laughs> I'll just keep checking in there. Oh, well, I'll have a few more here, yeah? Okay, but... And, and, you know, when I preached it, people enjoyed that in, in here as well. You know, there was a lot of, lot of amens and, you know, afterwards people really enjoyed that sermon. But, and it does need preaching, don't get me wrong. Yeah, false prophets and people that are doing things like that, they, they need preaching against, don't they? And we're told to do that, reprove, rebuke. Um, but is there that much of an immediate benefit to us? Would you say that sermon? Did anyone get any of me? I hope no one here was just about to go and become a false pastor. <laughs> just decide to self-ordain or was about to ring up Donnie Ramiro and see if he had ordained them as a pastor or, you know, encourage them and send them a few grand. Um, so I don't, I don't, I doubt it. I doubt, I doubt that was going on. But, um, but I don't think, yeah, other than those sort of situations, I don't think anyone here was necessarily getting that that, that benefit. Maybe a couple here were thinking about going down to an unqualified church, they were getting the ump, and maybe that just reproved them at the time. But, you know, when you preach the other sermons, the treating the house of God with respect, or the wives submit, you know, husbands love your wives, and all these other things, I tell you what, they don't get half as many views, <laughs> they don't get the slaps on the back, they don't get, they don't get, oh, great sermon and everything else, because you know, it, it is easier, isn't it, when it's not focusing the light on us, when it's not shining the light on us. Um, and you'd sometimes get the old grues and grumbles and stuff, you notice it a bit, you know, in, in, when you're preaching. But verse 21 says, when we're saved, we should want to come to the light. So we should, really, we should desire that preaching. We should desire the preaching that convicts us. We should desire the preaching that calls out our sin, shouldn't we? Because we want to improve, don't we? We should come to the light. We should want to come to the light. And verse 22 says, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Now, John 4.2 says, though Jesus himself baptized not, excuse me, but his disciples. Right, so Jesus didn't baptize. Verse 23, and John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. So why was he baptizing in Enon? Because there was much water there. Why would you need much water there if you're sprinkling water on people, eh? Just so much sprinkling, it just gets everywhere. You just run out quickly, don't you? You, know, you could just be careful, you? you would just sprinkle over the area you're getting the water from. So if you're biblically baptising and not, you know, wearing a dress and sprinkling water around the place, like sadly what most people think of as, as baptism and, and what they call christening as well in this country, you know, around clouds of incense and bizarre chanting and, and graven images everywhere and everything else. But if you're doing it properly, you need much water, according to the Bible, don't you? That's why he's baptising there, because there was much water. So turn to Acts 8 and just quickly, just to... Just to remind you of this, turn Acts 8 while I read Matthew 3.16. Matthew 3.16, and Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. So Jesus went up straightway out of the water. I think Jesus would have shown us the correct way, wouldn't he? Uh, along, with, along with John the Baptist. Acts 8 and 38, Acts 8, 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. 
And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Okay, now you could go on uh, for a while about this, but verse 38, see they went both into the water. Okay, verse 39, up out of the water. Baptism, full immersion, needs much water. And that's why we, we when we baptise, and hopefully we'll be doing a lot of baptism soon, uh, when we do baptise, it, it will obviously be full immersion. And if you've been sprinkled water by someone, whether you were saved or not, or, or especially, and also if you were baptised when you were unsaved in some way or another, whether it was in water or not, then you need, you need baptising. Okay, you need baptizing after salvation. Okay, but you know, like we've talked about before, many people worry, well, I don't know if that, you know, before I was at this church, I'm not sure. I personally believe if you were saved and you've gone and got baptized, I don't think you have to go back and, you know, really make sure because you can't know for sure, can you? You can't know for sure, really. Um, so for me, yeah, but after salvation, you need to get baptized. And, and hopefully, once you get Pastor Thompson here, we're going to be getting some baptisms going. So those of you that aren't, Get ready. Hopefully, it's in the summer, eh? Because <laughs> 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 South then could be good in the summer, couldn't it? Oh, wow, in the winter. When were we? When, when was Ireland? You guys that got baptized in Ireland? What? What? what was it April? It, it looked pretty. It was pretty cold just standing there. <laughs> I was already baptized. I stand there watching you guys, thinking, "Wow." <laughs> good on you. You know, you knew you guys had some conviction there. Uh, um, yeah, that looked cold, okay. Uh, verse 24, for John was not yet cast into prison. Now, Luke 3.19 tells us why John was cast into prison. So John the Baptist, Baptist was cast into prison eventually. Luke 3.19, you can turn there if you like. It says, but Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved for him by him, for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. Now, don't miss the second bit, because a lot of time we see this, we talk about, yeah, we're proving him for, you know, the wicked sin of, of adultery, and, and, you know, whether it was divorce, and, and, but it was adultery either way. But John reproved him for all the evils that he had done, didn't he? And how many of these lame pastors do you, do you hear claim, don't, don't talk about anything about the government, you can't, can't mention any of the sins, a massive list of heinous sins committed by governments around the world. Oh, no, no, Romans 13, no. You know, I can't talk about the government. Well, John the Baptist did, didn't he? Amen. Yeah, for all the evils which Herod had done. And I bet there was quite a lot of evils. So he must have let him have it. That must have been a long sermon. <laughs> for Herod, that must have been a long old sermon. And he let him, let him have it. And, and this is the greatest man that lived according to Jesus, obviously apart from Jesus. Um, and Jesus also reproved the leaders, didn't he? What did he call Herod? That fox, didn't he? Herod, that fox, tell that fox, he said. Um, and, and we should too, shouldn't we? So those of us preaching the word of God should be preaching the truth and preaching against the wickedness of, of our governments, of our so-called leaders and rulers. And, and when 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 the word calls for it and the word calls for it a lot we should be preaching against them shouldn't we and letting people know about the sin that they're committing and, and as we see John the Baptist did that and ended up being cast into prison okay then verse 25 then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying 
This is probably because of the obsessive cleaning that we mentioned earlier, because they love a bit of purifying. Um, verse 26, they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that, that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing, except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is a, is a bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So have a look at verse 26 there. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, in context of the following verses, it sounds like John's disciples are almost maybe complaining that everyone is going to Jesus now. Uh, I don't know if, possibly, it sounds like that, because he's trying to explain, explain how he doesn't have a problem. In fact, he's rejoicing about that. Verse 27, John answered, said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So John is saying that it's ordained of God, isn't it, that they, they, they now go to Jesus. Verse 28, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And they witnessed him saying that he was sent before him. We saw that in John 1. Verse 29, He that hath the bride is a bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So J John isn't bitter at all, is he? Um, you'd hope not, wouldn't you? And obviously he's not. He's referring to Jesus as the bridegroom and himself as a friend that is rejoicing greatly to hear Jesus' voice. Yeah? And now look at verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So remember, John's job was to come before him to make straight the way of the Lord, wasn't it? Now, now all men are coming to Jesus. And we can apply this to our own personal discipling of people, can't we? Okay, we can apply this verse especially to our own personal discipling. Jesus must increase and we must decrease, yeah? And that's a, I think this is a good verse to have in your mind, that Jesus must increase and we must decrease. Um, but how's Jesus going to increase most when we're discipling people? And I would say not necessarily by sending them hours and hours and hours of NIFB sermons. Okay, and hear me out here. Okay, like we all love good preaching and I want to listen to good preach. I still listen to good preachers. I listen to different preachers. Um, okay, that's great. Uh, we've all learned some good doctrine for good preaching. But you've got to learn to read and study the word of God. Okay, we have to, everyone here has to learn to do that. And, and that's studying and that's basically increasing Jesus Christ himself, I think, uh, uh, rather than the preacher, basically, that you're having to have everything taught by. Because what happens, I've been around people that have listened to literally hundreds of hours of good preaching online. Yeah, they've listened to loads of it. That, but the majority of stuff that they actually remember is usually the stuff they listen to in the last week or two. Okay, because when you're just listening, you're listening, and especially a lot of the time, we're not really, it's not that we're studying. It's not that a lot of people have got their Bible out, they're making their notes, they're studying. A lot of the time, they're listening to it, traveling, working, and nothing wrong with that. You know, I love listening to good preaching. Okay, but you have to get to the point where it's not, right, well, what did that pastor say? What did that preacher say? What, what you know, or what did I remember? What do I remember was said? Um, because those people, what happens a lot of the time, when you ask them a question, 
their answer is, let me find a sermon. And that's the truth, isn't it? Let me find a sermon because they still haven't got to the point where Jesus has increased enough where they can get, get their Bible out and find an answer to it. Because all they can do is point you to sermons. And, and nothing wrong, you know, listening to a, a sermon's good. But in the same way then, the result we want for our disciples is to Jesus to increase and the reliance on the prophet to decrease, yeah? That's what he's saying here, isn't he? I, I believe that's, that's the application I get from that. And, and not only do we want to be like that, but we want to get like that with the people that we're, dis- we want the people, sorry, the people that we're discipling to get to that point as well. Now, again, sending and preaching is good, but where do they need to be for Jesus to increase most? Where do they need to be? Church, yeah? Need to be in, in the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth, yeah? Okay, so, so to get them in church, the local New Testament church, and fortunately now we have a New Testament church in this country that we can say, yeah, this is a church, okay? Um, but for someone to get there, for someone to get to church, it, you know, that sometimes it could be hard when you get to the point where you're just literally relying on, on YouTube, you're just watching, that's, that becomes your thing. You're just kind of like a YouTube churchgoer. And, and for many people, they find it really hard to then go to church, don't they? Okay, now I'm not saying, oh, all right, ban them, they can't listen to any preaching, right, you can't listen to a thing unless you come to church. But I, I think we need, to, like, our main emphasis has to be encourage them to church. I don't care how much doctrine they hear. If they don't go to church, they're going to be a weak Christian. They're going to be a lame Christian. They're probably not going to do very much for God, are they? If they're not in church. Because we all know without church, you're, you're in the wilderness, aren't you? You're in the wilderness hoping to bump into that guy with the camel's hair, aren't you? You hope you bump into that good bit. But the truth is, we're out, we're out in the wilderness when we're not in church. And all of us have been at points like that or have been in bad churches. And even in a bad church, you, you're kind of still not in the wilderness, really, are you? Yeah. So our goal, our goal, isn't it, is for people that we've, that we've got saved to come to church. That's our ultimate goal, isn't it? Okay, and let's be honest, you, every single person here, could probably show enough verses to show God telling them to come to church. It doesn't matter how many great preachers they hear telling them the same thing. If that's not convicting them, the Word of God, if you can't convict them, then them listening to a load of preachers online is not going to get them to come to church. In fact, a lot of the time, I think it, it could possibly do the opposite because people just start to rely on their online preacher. They just become an online churchgoer. And that's what happens. And I think that's a bit of a, kind of one of the unfortunate, like, negative side effects of online preaching, of having it live, is that there are people, there are people we've saved, that I know, because I speak to someone, who, who kind of make the choice to sit at home and listen instead. Yeah. That you're not at church sitting at home listening, are you? And this is what happens, I think. Some, I think, possibly become dis- dysfunctional when it comes to going to church. And, and you know, I... You've heard preachers talk about this, and, and again, you know, I'm, I'm fairly new to this, but I think, I think that, that you can become someone who gets so used to your, you know, your guy online, you know, your favourite personality, and if he starts to annoy you, says something you don't like, you shift to the next guy, you know, then he becomes your personality, your YouTube preacher, and then maybe it will go to the next guy because you didn't like the way he did something. He may, really, a lot of the time it's because he's preached something that's, that's hit you a bit, and prickled you a little bit, or it's something that, oh, well, they made you feel a bit insecure or something else, you go to the next guy, and then you become a bit of a dysfunctional church member. You haven't got your pause button at church, have you? You haven't got your pause button, oh, yeah, I'll listen to the end, and then you don't. You go to something else which kind of makes you feel a bit better. 
You know, you, you don't you don't have have the food there. You don't have the, the you can't sit there in your pajamas, men, yeah, <laughs> or your nighties, ladies, yeah. Okay, you you can't sit there in your in your pajamas or your nightie sitting there with your pause buttons and everything else, can you? And, and, and you know, with your home comforts and everything and, and, and all of that. And, and at church, when it's getting preached at you, you kind of got to take note then, don't you? Okay, and, and look, what I'm not saying, look, don't send anyone any sermons. Like, that's good. But really, guys, get them to the church, yeah? Anyone gets saved in this country, we're trying to get them to our church, aren't we? We're not trying to get them to be, you know, the, the latest NIFB YouTube addict. Okay, like cool, and some a lot of us probably have been there to some degree. And hey, man, we're in church, yeah, great. And hopefully we can all be f- not dysfunctional in church because, like I said, I think there can be problems with it, and people do find it hard. And they might be looking, going, "Well, it's not Pastor, you know, so and so up there." So I don't know why I want to listen to him because God told you to, you know, because because Pastor Thompson's got me to lead the church and preach the word of God to you. Okay, it doesn't matter if I'm not Pastor, you know, Jimenez or Pastor Anderson or Pastor Shelley. It doesn't matter because that's what God's told you to do. It, but it can be hard when you come from the YouTube, the great preachers, and everything else, and it's like, right now I'm at my local church. Okay, and that that happens everywhere, doesn't it? So really, when we're going out, we get we're trying to get Jesus to increase in their life, and that's one at the church, but two to get them to start eventually with time, and that will come for being at church and growing as a Christian to be able to rely on their Bible. Because the truth is, people who are sitting at home watching YouTube, I would say the vast majority of them can't can't they can't find a, in general much more than a few favourite verses. They can't explain things that Jesus will not increase in their life. And they'll always rely on that prophet. They'll always rely on that preacher. Um, okay, and that's what, we're, that's what we're training our disciples to be. That's what we want to... So, so point with that. When you get someone saved and you manage to get past that kind of that, that thorny ground Christian that sadly a lot of them are, and you get to that point where they actually know they want to talk to you, they wanna, they're happy to respond to your messages, your emails, your calls, whatever else, and you, they want to be discipled, your ultimate goal is to encourage them to come to church, isn't it? And yeah, it might take them a while, it might take a little while, and sure, send them some preaching and everything else. But like I said, they listen to, to 3,000 hours of the best pastors you know, that, that we know and don't come to church, then I don't think they're going to be much of a better Christian. Okay, that's what, that's what I think. So I think get them to church, and if it means that they listen to some of our stuff and it means that they... We, we have, we've prayed hard for this church, we've persevered for this church, we've got this church, let's build this church, eh? Let's build this church. Matthew eighteen twenty says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So where, are they, where is Jesus going to increase most? Here, in this building, yeah? In this church, let's get them to this church. Verse 31, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Right, John knows his place, doesn't he? He hasn't got all puffed up. Yeah? He knows his place. He hasn't got puffed up. Um, he knows who Jesus Christ is. Verse 32, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. So Jesus is obviously testifying the truth here, isn't he? Verse 33, he that hath received his testimony is set to his seal that God is true. So when they, someone receives the gospel, they're acknowledging that God is true, aren't they? They're acknowledging that God is true and they're acknowledging that the word of God is true. When you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, you're accepting 
that the word of God is true, aren't you? When you believe, when you put your faith, you're accepting that what you've been preached is a word of God and it's true. And I, I, I believe when you're preaching that to people, they get convicted, they know it's a word of God, don't they? They know it's a word of God and some of them will reject. But, but if you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you're accepting it now. Yet saved believers the world over still want to reject so much of this Bible, don't they? Saved, saved Christians the world over, they will, they will get saved. They like that bit, that grace through faith bit. That's pretty good, isn't it, that bit? I like that bit. But, oh, I don't know about the rest. I don't know about some of the harder bits of the Bible. But what's that about? You've just acknowledged that God is true. Acknowledge that this word of God is true, the living word. You know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. We got this word, we've accepted it, we've acknowledged it, we've put our faith in it for salvation. If you're really saved, then you've put your faith in what this word of God says. Yet, then when it tells you about sodomites, well, I don't know about that because, you know, cousin whoever, you know, is, is a flaming sodomite. So I, I'll avoid that bit don't like that bit or like we were talking about earlier you know the roles in marriage or and so many other bits of this bible so many parts of this bible that people don't want to accept don't want to acknowledge but no it's, it's not a pick and mix is it it's not you you you, you accept it, you put your faith in jesus christ well then that means that this bible is true isn't it this word of god is true and that means every single bit of it every single word of it is true well, how can you trust a bit the bits about salvation um, verse 34 for he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him so Jesus wasn't just speaking some words of God was he he was 100% human 100% God he was filled 100% with the Holy Spirit and every word of his is pure every word of God is pure isn't it every word of Jesus Christ was pure Verse 35, the father loveth the son and has given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And there's eternal security again. Eh? There's once saved, always saved again. Hath is present tense. Has everlasting life. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. You are saved. It's a done deal. If you believe on the Son, if you have believed on the Son, you, that's it. Job done. If you don't believe the Son, if you haven't put your faith on the Son of God and Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how many old ladies you walk across the street, does it? It doesn't matter how many. It doesn't matter if you literally just park up at near the old people's home and just walk them across the street all day. You ain't going to heaven. Okay? It doesn't matter how lovely you are, how good you are, how nice you are. You know how nice you are to sodomites and the rest of it. You're not going to heaven. How much money you leave to your false church. Doesn't matter, does it, Roman Catholics? It doesn't matter. You know, these Sinatras and the rest of them that leave millions and millions to these wicked false churches. You're not going to heaven if you haven't believed on the name of the only begotten son. But he says here, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath, not the begrudging punishment. Not, oh, I'm just going to have to punish, punish them. That's not what it says, does it? Not the, oh, well, I just, well, I suppose I got in my hands the tide. No, the wrath of God it's wrath the wrath of God 
is waiting for you. Like that, that is sobering for the unsaved person. It's, it's wrath, it's anger at everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, every wicked thought you've had. The wrath of God abideth on you. Have a look at Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1, so it's just after Micah, if you're wondering, and before Habakkuk, towards the end of your Old Testament. It's Nahum chapter 1 and verse 2. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. That's the Lord. That's God. That's our God. Yeah, that's not, that's not Morgan Freeman, the sky daddy. Yeah? Hanging up there in the clouds, just cuddling everyone. That's not, that's not our Lord, is it? That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell that's trying to convince people that it's just a sort of everyone apart from the people that you think shouldn't go to heaven are going to heaven. That's not God, is it? The, 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 like we see the long-haired hippie wearing the dress, who's just cuddling and walking around saying, peace, man. That's not God. God is jealous. The Lord revengeth and is furious. He's furious with every single sin. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. If, if anyone here, and we're not going to do an altar call, <laughs> but if anyone here, seriously, if you haven't put your, your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you haven't trusted in him alone for, for, for your salvation, then believe me, the wrath of God abideth on you and, and you just need to get down, get on your knees and just, just ask God. Just, just ask him. Just, just put your faith in him. His death, burial, his resurrection is paid for all your sins. All you have to do is ask him and, and trust him. And on that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for, for such a powerful, powerful chapter. Uh, what a powerful gospel. What, what a powerful book. Um, but, but John chapter 3, thank you for just making it so clear that, that once we are saved, once we are born again, there's no second spiritual birth. Once we have everlasting life, we have it. You cannot lose it. Thank you that, that, that you've made it so clear. Thank you that you've made such an easy way to be saved and thank you that that even though none, no one here deserves salvation that you've offered it freely to us and and that, that we've we've taken it we we thank you for that we thank you for sending your son to to die for us and um pl please help us to get that truth out to people please help us to to get out there and get people saved to get to just preach the gospel to be strong as a church to grow as a church to, to get more and more soldiers out there on the streets just preaching the gospel and bringing people to, to faith and um, we, we thank you for that help us with our weeks going forward help us to get home safely and soundly tonight help us to, to have a good week and to, to put you at the center of it um, for you to just keep increasing in our lives and and help us to, to rely on you rely on your word um, not not just on on our favorite preachers and and we pray that you just help us in all these areas help us to get back here back here next week to carry on worshipping you and serving you and in Jesus name we pray amen